0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. If you can stand today, we'll turn to Psalms 15. Beginning of December, we started a series called Reserve Parking. Plans are to complete that here this morning. Amen. Glad to have different ones with us. Glad to see Danielle and Sarah with us this morning. Liam, it's been a while since we've seen him. So glad to see him worshipping. Amen over here. Amen this morning. House of the Lord. Psalms 15, our springboard for this series, the whole chapter. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill he that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart he that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is contemned but he honoreth them that fear the Lord he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not he that putteth not out his Money to usury nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Our focus will be verses four and five today. Amen. This morning, just for a title, I'm calling this Reserve Parking, is our series to calling this Parking Permit. Parking Permit. Amen. Today. Hallelujah. Can we pray that the Lord would help us? Amen. We want heaven to speak to us through his word this morning. Father, I love you this morning oh god you are so precious god your name alone is precious but god the essence god of what that name lord represents the nature god what that name represents is just equally as precious i pray oh lord today god open up our minds god to understanding to receive here lord god and accept father your word today god in this place god and we will not fail lord jesus to thank you lord for speaking to us through your word in the lovely name of jesus christ that i pray Amen and amen. The church say, amen. you may be seated this morning in Jesus name. As I have for the past several weeks, try to just give you an idea of what we've been doing. Amen. I'll do that just again today a little bit. And uh, back from the very beginning lesson, understanding parking permit or permits today. Some, some reserved parking is by parking Permits by parking permits, and the meaning is that a person basically has paid an agreed-upon amount to have the privilege of parking in a designated spot without having to be questioned, and it's in this agreement that a person uh, just can't park in an empty spot, but they can only park in their designated spot, that designated spot that they made some type of exchange for. Usually, it's money in our society. Usually, it's money, and it's, it's a renewable fee. It's something that happens uh, maybe year by year, quarterly, whatever the agreement may be. And finally, reserved parking uh, is is protected by parking permits. These things that are protected by parking permits, when you have reserved parking and you have a parking permit to park there, they are not transferable. A lot of times, they are not transferable. So what that means is your payment cannot secure a spot for somebody else. Your payment can't secure a spot for somebody else. Not even for 10 minutes. (laughs) Not even for 10 minutes. And so what we've been considering over the past several weeks uh, that David started with in the first verse is considering who can be a a guest, a a, a pilgrim and a stranger now uh, here below in the presence of God and who can be a resident later in the presence of God for all eternity. And through the pen of David, we have come to realize that there is not a certain set of criteria or a list for a guest and then a different set of list or criteria for the resident, but that that list is one and the same. One and the same. That list tells us what one is in his presence, what one isn't in his presence. That's whether they are as they are traveling in the earth here below or as they'll be translated from this glory to the next glory in heaven someday. And some of the things that are enlisted uh, there in Psalms 15 is that this man, this one who is in the presence of the Lord, whether now or later, he walketh uprightly, he worketh righteousness he speak of truth then David tells us some of the things that he does not which are equally as important he does not backbite or do evil to or take up a reproach against his neighbor but then David continues to tell us some of the things in verses four and five there is another thing that that characterizes this man that's in the presence of the Lord and I I sum it up like this This man takes a stand. This man takes a stand. The Bible says in the King James in verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned or despised, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. I've been reading from the Jerusalem Bible. It says, looks with contempt on the reprobate, but honors those who fear Yahweh. This is a man who takes a stand. He is resolute concerning the things of the Lord. The Bible says that in in whose eyes a vile person is despised. The words vile person literally mean one that is rejected by God. This man, the the, the vile person, is one who is rejected by God, who is despised, also known as a reprobate. In other words, this man that's found in the presence of the Lord, uh, he basically despises what god despises rejects what god rejects he does not elevate a vile person all right he does not give praise to compliment the deeds of a person who is rejected by god someone say amen in other words, how proper, maybe I can do it in a question and it'll trigger our minds a little bit better. How proper would it be for us to admire one and the actions of one that God has despised? Well, what good is it to applaud what God is booing? Doesn't that, that kind of really sets us in contradiction or in opposition, does it not? Amen. Unto the Lord, the man that stands in the presence of God, he takes a stand. In other words, he's not as a chameleon. He's not blending in whenever it's convenient. Well, it's it's not that when he's among the vile, he applauds the vile bends and bows and adapts to the vile. And then whenever he's in the presence of those that fear the Lord, he fears God. Huh? Harmonizes with those that live for God. No, he's not a chameleon. This is a man that takes a stand. In spite of his environment, whether it be godly, righteous, or whether it be putrid and polluted, regardless, he takes a stand with God. God says, David, one who is to be found in my presence is one that has their cleats on in the spirit, so to speak, has dug their feet in the dirt, and they are solidified where they stand, how they stand, how they live, how they walk, how they talk, regardless of the environment that they are setting. Someone say amen. And so this man doesn't change with his environment. He does not change with the time. Does not change with the times. He takes a stand. He abhors, if you will, the base and the vile. And he honors the godly. Warren Wiersbe, he said it like this. He said, when godly people endorse the words and deeds of the ungodly, there is confusion in the church. Hmm. There's confusion in the church. Isaiah said it like this. Isaiah 5 and verse 20. He says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah says, woe unto that person. What's he looking at? He's looking at a person that has not been able to take a stand, but a man in the presence of the Lord is going to take a stand a stand for what is right and he's going to oppose what is wrong. And that doesn't necessarily mean you got to make a sign out of poster board and put it on the stick and start picketing. Amen. Sometimes your simple means of opposing is abstaining. Huh? Right. And so when we begin to consider some of these things, I'm going to cut in just a little close here, all right? And we're coming up on media fast. But when you begin to consider in some of these things, I ask you this question. What have you found entertaining this week through television, the internet, the books you read, the music you listen to that maybe perhaps God has labeled as vile or despises and rejects? Let me break it down for you. Oh, God. Is everybody doing all right? Because I'm going to need, I need some help, Brother Mason. You all right? How can we be entertained by a storyline that goes along an adulterous relationship when God forbids adultery in the word of God? I'm just saying. Uh, Holy, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Jesus, help us, God. Amen. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 26, the Bible says, Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be cursed, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. And so the writer here, Moses here in Deuteronomy, is speak to us that if you bring things that are abomination into your home, here is the fact that that Moses was telling the children of Israel, if you bring something that is an abomination according to God's standards into your home, there is a great possibility that abomination may corrupt you. It may corrupt you. And so he was telling the children of Israel, don't allow the thing that is cursed to curse you. In other words, he says, if God calls it abomination, if God calls it the curse, then we should detest and abhor it as God abhors and detests. There's something along the line that the the, the Lord is bringing Israel and us as a church to a place, hopefully, that he wants us to hate what he hates. And then love what he loves. Amen. That's the reason why, you know, Bishop on Wednesday night, he's going, 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 prayer, 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 what he's trying to do. He's trying to say, man, we need to love what God loves. Amen. Amen. But it isn't just loving what God loves. It's being able then to hate what God hates. Because there's a lot of people that try to love what God loves and still love what he despises. See, this very type of thing is what got Achan in trouble in Joshua 7. He and his family. What? Babylonian garment? Yeah, come on. It's an accursed thing. It's an accursed thing, but he brought it into his home. Now, it was a tent, mind you, but that was his home and their home for that day. He brought it into their tent. In other words, Achan valued what God accursed. He placed value upon something that was of little of no value in the eyes of God. And so he brought it into his home, and as a result, he and his family paid the price with their lives. Now I wonder how valuable, in retrospect, a Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold, some shekels of silver. I wonder really how valuable that was when he understood the price of his own family lives that had to be paid with it. And we're like, that is right, isn't it, Bishop Triss? That is right. What you know, value? What value in that to do you pay the price with your your own family? Let me tell you, it's still happening. It's still happening. There's music in people's homes that's costing the lives, spiritual lives of their children. There's books and paraphernalia of magazines in people's homes that's costing the spiritual lives of their teenagers. There's television programs going on in people's homes that is diluting their spiritual experience and walk with God. Someone say amen. Proverbs 23 verse 17 Let not thine heart envy sinners. Let not thine heart envy sinners. I think this is what David was relating to. He's saying, Lord, he said, a vile person is contemned in your eyes and not so much the person as much as what the person does. But see, in the Old Testament, there wasn't the miracle of Christ Jesus being able to separate people from their sins. So whenever a person was sinning, it was the person. You could not separate the two. It was only through the miracle of Christ coming down. Jesus, he, he shall be called Jesus for he shall save their people from their sins. Only through Jesus is he able to separate a sinner from their sin. So in the Old Testament, we had the problem that if they had sin, that it wasn't just the sin that we could just set aside and deal with. You had to deal with the person. And so in the other chapter, he says, then Lord, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, is despised. It wasn't just setting aside the sin. It was all of them. Amen. The sin was connected to a sinner. It still is. But God has the ability, Jesus Christ, because of Christ has the ability of separating that, taking care of sin, and still saving the sinner. But he says, let not thine heart envy sinners. Oh, the things that could dance across our minds sometimes. Wishing that, I wish, you know, just if I could just be like them. If I could go down to Daytona Beach and they're all walking around and their stuff, you know what? That would kind of be nice. It really is hot down here and we're on vacation away from the house. This is such a volatile and putrid thing that. The Proverbs writer Solomon says, not that you don't do it, but don't even envy it. Because if your mind gets started turning toward a direction that you envy, you desire, or you want some of those things, it will not be too long if it's not stopped. That thought will turn into an action. That envy will follow, have a follow through. Listen to me today, folks. He says, but be thou, look at the rest of the verse, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Uh-huh. When you wake up, when you go to bed, as you sleep through the night, you know, uh, please pardon me, but we have the idea, you know, we have no control over our dreams. Yes, we do. Because for the most part, you are going to dream about what you have fed your mind with and what the thought process of your mind is. Whether on a level that is sublime Oh, glory. Fill your mind with the things that be of God. I'm telling you, I don't know of any time, and I'm just being honest, I don't know of any time I've woke up out of my sleep dreaming, speaking in tongues, when I have been more carnal than more spiritual. I'm just, whenever I was more on point with prayer and all that, I don't know of any time, and I have, I even asked my wife, there's been several times in our marriage I've woke up out of sleep speaking in tongues. I don't do this anyway, but it wasn't that I watched a horror film before I went to bed. Don't do it anyway, exactly, but still, I'm just telling you. You hear what I'm saying? Uh Amen. Let not thy heart envy sinners. And this kind of all goes back, if you think about it, kind of goes back to the Romans 1 that we spoke of last week. Remember that eventually God gave those that refused to glorify him as God up, the Bible says, to a reprobate mind. Remember? Amen, and this, this vile person here in uh, verse number 4 of Psalms 15 is that of a reprobate. Remember, they had that downward spiral of, of him giving them up to uncleanness and then to what? Vile, even is the word used, vile affections, and then a reprobate, reprobate, and they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And We cannot, you should not, you better be careful, admiring those that refuse to accept God. But here is the, the, the backside of that. He's a man that takes a stand, whose eyes of all person is contemned. but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. Honor them that fear the Lord. We're not talking about being afraid. We're not talking about scaredy cat type of fear. We're talking about reverence. Can honor those that reverence the Lord. Deuteronomy 10 and 12, the Bible says this. Again, speaking to Israel. And now Israel, what doeth the Lord thy God require of thee? This is a good short list. But to fear or reverence. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him. And to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. The question was, what? Does the Lord require? Reverence for himself, walk in his ways, love him, serve him. Look at another passage of scripture. First Samuel 12 and verse number 14, verse 12 or chapter 12 and verse number 14. of first Samuel, it says, if ye will fear the Lord. Reverence him and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, everybody say then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. Listen, folks, vitally, vitally important. You hearing me? He says, basically, if you do these things, then you will continue. You will continue to follow the Lord your God. If you'll feel, if you'll fear the Lord, if you'll reverence the Lord, you'll continue to follow the Lord. Then you will. If, if you serve the Lord, then you will continue to follow the Lord. If you obey the Lord's voice, then you will continue to follow the Lord. If you will not rebel against his commandments, then you will continue. You understand know what? We're, we're, we're not just talking about, man, this one time coming to know God. We're talking about our life with God. He says, if you practice these things, you'll continue to follow the Lord. In other words, if we can say it like this today, you will not look at the the both back in back in Deuteronomy and here in Samuel. You will not serve. You will not love. You will not walk or you will not walk according to the Lord. If you do not reverence the Lord, you will not follow a Lord. You do not reverence. You will not serve a Lord. You do not reverence. You will not glorify, a Lord, you do not. You will not love him. You will not obey him. Mm-hmm. If you do not reverence him. The Bible says in Psalms 22 and verse 23, ye that fear or reverence the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. When we fear the Lord, we reverence the Lord, we praise the Lord. Yeah, we do. The Bible states these words, and note, this is, again, this man in the presence of the Lord takes a stand. 2 Kings 3 and verse 14. I have a lot of scripture today if you've not noticed yet. 2 Kings 3 and verse 14. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Now, here's the scenario. King of Israel, who at that time was uh, Jehoram. King of Israel, who at that time was Jehoram, came with Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. They come in before Elisha for some direction and wisdom. And basically, Elisha is standing there and telling them, listen, Jehoram, because he's evil. he's the son and the lineage of Ahab, evil king, he says, had it not been for Jehoshaphat standing here, had it not been for the one that reverences the Lord standing here, I wouldn't even be giving you the time of day. Why? Because you're wicked, doing things against God. You have your high places up on the mountain, serving idols and pagan uh, deities. He said, I wouldn't even give you the time of day if it wasn't for someone that was here that was reverencing the Lord. Someone say amen. We see also, you remember the story of Esther and Mordecai. Esther going past the king's gate each and every day whenever he did. And there's Haman that's standing out there. There's even a decree that they should bow down to Haman as they pass the king's gate. Not Mordecai. He says, I'm not not kneeling down to this man. Amen. Got him in a lot of uh, problems. But according to the estimation of that Jew, Haman was a vile person. And Mordecai wasn't going to give reverence to a vile person. Person. As a matter of fact, Esther even labeled Haman as the adversary and the enemy, this wicked Haman. Mordecai says, uh-uh, it's because I'm going to take a stand. Amen. A person in the presence of the Lord takes a stand for what's right. They oppose then the wrong. Look then secondly, the rest of verse number four. That sweareth to his own her and changeth not. In other words, a man that is in the presence of the Lord, guest now or, or, or resident later, he is faithful or he is dependable. His word is his bond. His word is his bond. Whenever we see this, we see such a man like Joshua who in Joshua 9, as they're entering into the land of promise, there comes a group of people from him, and they are posing as though they have come from a very far country. They, whenever they left, they live in the very city and town that Joshua was just now entering into, and whenever they left, they made sure that they went with Moti bread. They had shoes that were already wore out, and you know, they got themselves looking quite homely as they're coming before Joshua. like, sir, we have traveled from a far country. And we have heard of all the great exploits of you and your people. We would like to make a league with thee to be, you know, whatever we can be for you all. And Joshua, without checking the background, without discerning the spirits, trying the spirits see if they be of God, he said, all right, yeah, I'll make a league with you. And it was just a few, few chapters, even verses at that later, that he comes to understand that these were some of the dwellers of the land that they were about over to overtake. They were the Gibeonites. And yet here is Israel now, very upset. Joshua, you made a league with these people. And Joshua just says, well, I got to keep my bond. I got to keep my word. I can't go back up on my word. Going to keep my word. Amen. And so the people that stand in the presence of the Lord, here is the matter. It says that they keep their word even if it's going to cost them something. You know, it's easy to keep a word whenever it doesn't influence or affect your stand. Or Meaning. It's easy to keep a word whenever it's convenient, right? But whenever it starts getting inconvenient, that's whenever people start breaking their word. Well, I got this and this, or that's going to cost more than what I thought it was going to cost. Right? He says, a man that stands in the presence of the Lord, whenever he gives his word, he keeps his word. He he doesn't change. He keeps it even if it's going to cost him something. Amen. He is faithful, he's dependable. And that's the reason we've oftentimes said one of the great traits when we read in the New Testament of the parable of those that enter into the joy of the Lord, he says, enter into the joy of the Lord, my good and my what? Faithful, dependable servant. Number three, look at verse number five. He that put, there's really two things here, but I'm putting them under one thing. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. Man that's found in the presence of the Lord, he's not obsessed with money. I'm not talking about making a living, but he's not obsessed. He's not obsessed with money. In 1995, there was an article printed in the Christian Today magazine, a survey of Americans have been cited there in that uh, periodical and the the survey posed this question uh, to two Americans said what are you willing to do for 10 million dollars was the question what are you willing people's already they're already writing the list right out there now that I see the pens and stuff going what are you willing to do for 10 million dollars this was the results of that survey and I, I, I don't know if these are things that just came about. I, I'm, I'm guessing and assuming that they gave some certain things, asked if they would do these particular things, okay? Uh, but nevertheless, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? 25% of those surveys said they would abandon their families for $10 million. This is in 1995, before I even graduated from high school. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. For $10 million. 7% said they would kill a stranger. For $10 million. Wow. You better believe it. (laughs) He's not obsessed with money. A man that stands in the presence of the Lord. A man in the presence of the Lord. Doesn't put his personal gain. Before the well being of others. All right? He doesn't try to profit from a brother's tragedy. Amen. Because that's what this first part kind of relates to. He that putteth not out his money to usury. The word usury basically means interest, it's not talking about you can't have. You cannot have a, a loan with the bank, and they can't charge you interest. It's not talking about that at all. You got to understand the context and the culture of the time. Uh, today, money is borrowed all the time, uh, sometimes legitimately, and my estimation, sometimes illegitimately. But nevertheless, in those times, uh, if there was somebody that was going to be doing any borrowing, they were borrowing not because they were borrowing because they were poor; they were in poverty. The borrowing wasn't just because they wanted something that was outside of their standard of life. Am I helping anybody? I'm trying to make their line here. Okay. Whenever they borrowed money, they would borrow it because they were poor, they were in poverty. They were going to lose their means of living, their land, and and their home, and many times even their children. And sometimes there would be others that would come along, and this is particularly denoted in the Old Testament, the Hebrews were told not to lend money to fellow Hebrews and charge interest on them. Because if they're asking for help, it's because they're floating out anyway. They're in poverty. They're poor. So don't be giving them money and then charge interest on that because they're asking for money in the first place because they can't make it by So if you think they're going to be able to pay the interest on something that they're just trying to get, forget it. He said, so don't do that. So he was telling them, don't be taking advantage, basically. Don't be taking advantage of somebody's tragedy. Don't be taking advantage of some. Don't try to profit off of somebody's woe. And just as a side note, beware of the cash now and cash advance places. Because they are the greatest picture of this. You want your money a week ahead because you're wanting something now that you're not going to wait a week for later. And you go get that cash down, they have an exorbitant amount of interest. And let me tell you this, if you're a Christian, don't sign up for employment at one of those places. In whose eyes the vile person is contemned. For that matter, since I'm on that horse, let me woo, ride it just a little bit more. Don't go somewhere where you got to sell cigarettes and alcohol as a job. You better abstain and flee from it. Don't go somewhere where you got to try to sell snuff and tobacco. So don't try to profit from my brother's tragedy. Usury, usury, simply it's just interest. But in today's world, it's more so unlawful interest. The Bible says in Exodus 22 and verse 25, this is what I was referring to. If thou lend money to any of my people, God says, that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usurer. You're not going to lay interest upon your brother that is poor and down and out. Let me tell you something, even the best way, And this this will save you a lot of heartache in life, especially in church life. Do not loan people money. Just give it away. Do not loan people money. Even if you don't even put an interest on it, don't loan money and expect it to come back. Let me tell you, you save yourself a bunch of of heartache if you just give it away. Because here's what will happen in the church life. Somebody's not going to pay you back. Or it's going to be two, three, four months, and you're going to feel a little bit odd about having to ask. You know, it's been a long time now. You said you're going to pay me back, and they don't pay you back, and all of a sudden you got bitterness, you got strife. It's happening in the church, somebody else hears about it. So just give your money away. Don't ever loan it out. That there is a pearl of wisdom you need right on your hand. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> so again borrowing different today uh, today you know, a lot of times it's because you want to you want to get it now and pay later all right amen but they did just to simply live as a matter of fact the, the whole concept of usury is in nehemiah five the exiles everybody's coming back home to jerusalem it seems and the wealthy were taking advantage of the poor man, the exiles and nehemiah slammed down his foot and he's like no this is not going to be As a matter of fact, he took things of, he was governor over uh, the city at that time, and he had more than enough, and he was using what he had for the poor among the exiles. Amen. So charging interest to the brother was was very, very improper. Amen. We've seen it already in our act series, carried over into our act series, that if there was a need, people didn't loan out money, did they? No. Someone else's surplus became the answer to somebody else's lack, didn't it? Amen. The surplus of one become the answer to the need of another. Amen. But also in this, they're not obsessed with money. In the Old Testament, the judges were warned not to accept bribes. The old saying is money talks. You get in trouble for that type of stuff, folks. People do it under the table, though, sometimes. Keep your mouth shut. Uh-huh. Or if you say such and such, you go this way. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 19 and verse 5, and he set judges in the land throughout all fenced cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed what you do, for ye judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord, there we are again, be upon you, take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord, our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking the gifts. In other words, he says y'all supposed to be judges under under the hand, under under the, the mentoring of the Lord, and the Lord is no respecter of persons and the Lord doesn't take gifts to guide. His influence, he says, so you don't need to be doing the same. Someone say amen. Let me put it like this, and I'll say this for any pastor, preacher, minister, evangelist that may be hearing the podcast later. A child of God that has been granted access to the presence of the Lord should not be able to be bought, especially whenever you consider they've already been purchased. By the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What more could somebody pay? For that matter, let me say this. You are not going to influence what is preached behind this pulpit. Whether you tell me you're going to withdraw your tithe or quit your offering or do something else with it. That's not going to change what's preached from the word of God in this pulpit. Because I've done decided I want to be in the presence of the Lord. And as a pastor, I will not be bribed. Well, if you don't quit talking about that, we're gonna go somewhere else. I'm sorry, I guess you'll have to go elsewhere because we're still gonna stand with truth, for truth, propagate truth. There's no other way around it. I'm gonna stand in the presence of God. If he's not a respecter of persons, if he doesn't take gifts, honey, I'm not taking them either. Amen. Amen. I don't know what happened there, but it felt good. First Samuel eight and verse three. This is what happened to the judges, Samuel's sons. Bible says in his Samuels, that is sons. And they, if you read the verses earlier in this, they were made judges. They walked not in his ways. Which Samuel was an honest judge. Whenever you read the, 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 the epitaph of, of his life, rather than scripture, the Bible says no one could lay a charge against Samuel. He had never taken anything from them. But it's quite different with his offspring who were made judges, his sons, walk not in his ways, but turn aside after lucre, money, and took bribes and perverted judgment based upon what they received. Oh, God, let me hear you. or Let me say something. If your ears are being tickled by the voices of televangelists. You better wait till the end of the program when they're telling you to send a little seed money. Because you're hearing what you want to hear and feeling good about what you want to hear. Because it's the money that is swaying the judgment of the man of God in the pulpit. You send them your thousand dollars if you want to but I'm telling you, they'll make you feel good all your way to a devil's hell outside of the presence of God because one who stands in the presence of God, if he's going to do it now and if he's going to do it then, he cannot take bribes. That's right. In the name of Jesus. We cannot serve God in mammon. New Testament scripture tells us. Which mammon is money. We cannot be obsessed with that. Now. We have taught this week. Weeks. Let's go back here to Psalms 15. I want to give you a little bit more background. That I hadn't given you any other week. And that is this. David asking these questions. And receiving these responses. Most scholars believe that. This psalm may have been written during the time that David was making preparations to receive the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath-Jerim, from Abinadab's house. Or it may have taken place after he had already made his first attempt to get the Ark of the Covenant. We must remember something here today, folks. It had been at Abinadab's house or in Kirjath-Jerim, according to the word of the Lord, for 20 years. And no one seemed to be concerned about the present. Right? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 7 and verse 2, and it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Finally, after 20 years, remember Psalms 14, David's talking about nobody seeking God. They're corrupt. They're saying there is no God, right? For 20 years, nobody concerned themselves with the ark of the covenant. That thing that was representative and symbolic of the presence of the Lord, nobody had. But now 20 years had gone by, and the house of Israel is beginning to lament and cry out. Now, now let's look. Let's look what's happened to the Ark of the Covenant. The reason why? That it's been outside of the, the minds of the people. Israel, a few chapters earlier in 1 Samuel 7, in 1 Samuel, a few chapters earlier, the Israelites had taken the Ark of the Covenant into battle against the Philistines. And when they took it into that battle, the philistines defeated them and the philistines took the ark of the covenant the ark of the covenant then was taken to the city of ashdod it was set in the temple of dagon and the ark in essence destroyed that idol of agdon Dagon it fell down on its face it did this two times Amen. even just all that was left was the stump amen there then they said okay we'll take the Ark of the Covenant then and we'll take it over to Gath this is another city of the Philistines while it was there the people were struck with the plague of Imrods, modern day hemorrhoids They were struck with hemorrhoids just as they were in Ashdod. It happened to them in Ashdod too. Amen. And so as it was there, they, you know, that kind of got a little uneasy. Said, man, we don't want this thing. We'll pass this off to somebody else. And so they pass it off to the city of Ekron. And the people of Ekron, they suffered from the very same thing, emrods. Man, we got Imrods going on in Ashdod. It's happening in Ekron. It's happening in Gath. So all these cities are suffering from the same thing because of the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Philistines things are thinking, you know what? We don't need this. <laughs> my Lord, we don't need this. And they say, we're going to send this back to Israel. Jeru- we're going to send this back to Israel. They're going to send it to Beth Shemesh, the Bible says, of Judah. And they sent it back. And the Bible says, as the Beth Shemites seen this, that they rejoiced to see it. But they made an error by removing the mercy seat or the lid that was upon the ark and looking into it now look at this when they did this first samuel 6 and verse 20 when they did this the men of Bethshemesh said who is able to stand before his holy lord god they were struck many of the people were struck because they looked in the cover and they said who can stand now that sounds awful similar to what david's asking in psalms 15 who can abide in your presence Who can dwell there? They're asking, who can stand before this holy God? To whom shall he go up from us? And so the Bible says that these Beth Shemites take the ark to Kirjath jerim or even ask the Kirjath jerim people to come, take the ark of the covenant, and they took it into the house of Abinadab, where it stayed for 20 years until David went up to get it. Now again, Psalms 14, it's very understandable. No one sought after the Ark of the Covenant. For 20 years, no one sought after his presence. They declared there was no God. Amen. In 1 Samuel 7, it even seems to indicate that Israel had turned from God to idol gods For some period of time. Maybe those 20 years. And they certainly had filled their hearts with corruption during that time. And so David picks up the pen perhaps during this time. And he leads with a question that the Beth Shemites had. Who is able to stand before his holy Lord? Who's able to do this? So David, listen to me. David then is on his way to get the Ark of the Covenant. With limited knowledge on how to interact with his presence. 20 year void, 20 year vacancy. As a matter of fact, he didn't get it right the first time, right? When he tried to get the Ark of the Covenant, he didn't handle his presence right. Who can abide or dwell? So David is asking in the presence of the Lord. Dagon had failed. All the inhabitants of the different Philistine towns had been plagued with emrods when his presence was with them. This is what he has to go off of. Presence was with them. They got emrods. You know, presence was with Dagon. He fell on his face. Who can stand? Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? As a matter of fact, the Philistines, when they had the Ark of the Covenant, they began to ask, what shall we do with the Ark of God of Israel? And that metamorphosed from what shall we do with to what shall we do to the ark of the Lord. And then those Bethlehemite boys got it right. They said, who is able to stand before his presence? See, the Israelites that were not in covenant with God, or the Philistines, rather, who were not in covenant with God, they're saying, what shall we do with the ark or what shall we do to the ark? But those in covenant with God then asked, Who shall stand? They got it right. Because they understood this isn't an ark problem. Those out of covenant sees it as an ark problem. This isn't an ark problem. This is a personal problem. This isn't something's wrong with his presence. But there's something wrong with the one that's trying to be in the same place as his presence is. This isn't a problem of his presence. This is a me problem. David didn't start asking God, God, what's wrong with your presence? Why in the world can't people approach you? No, no, no. He said, God, what's wrong with us? Where are we standing? What is our lives like? How are we conducting? How can we conduct ourselves and take up the same arena of your presence? It's a personal me problem. Everybody doing okay? I'm going to 1130 today at least. And so what David provides then in Psalms 15. Follow me now. Is not. A salvation. By the works of the law. You hearing me. What he provides there in that list. Are you listening? Is an obligation. By the works of grace. Because we have received salvation. Let me state that again. What David has in the enlistment of Psalm 15 is not a salvation by the works of the law. But what he presents to us is an obligation by the works of grace because we've already received salvation. Did you follow me? Consider Ephesians 2 and verse 8. These are verses that people all over the world use for verse 8 for by grace or by say grace. Are ye saved through faith? And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, which basically means masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto. Everybody say unto. Unto, look at it now, good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You might not have been saved by works, but you were saved for work. Look now at verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. You're called uncircumcision because you're a Gentile by that which is called circumcision, which is a Jew, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were, everybody say, without Christ, Mm -hmm. being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world look at verse 13 now but now in Christ Jesus ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ now look at this David said last phrase of Psalms 15 he that doeth these things shall never be moved. You hear me? Here's what I want you to get today. David is not telling you that you do these things and you'll get into a position, a place where then you won't be moved from. David's telling you, because of your salvation experience by grace, you have been placed in his presence. But when you continue to do what God before ordained for you being a Christian should do, Good works. Thus the list. You won't get moved. That's good. You hear me? Salvation placed you there. But the works that God before ordained for you as His masterpiece will keep you there. Because I know society looks at the Apostolic Church and they say, well, they believe you got to do all this to get saved. No. I believe you've got to do all this to stay saved. Somebody hear me? I believe just as well as the next one, that I've been saved by grace. But I also believe that God has saved me. He's before ordained me to good works. And when I do that, I once was a Gentile. But God, because of Christ, he has required someone say amen. And so he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Grace placed me there. Grace placed me there. Salvation set me in the presence of the Lord. But God's grace teaches me to walk in good works before. Before he he ordained this, before that I would be a masterpiece, a, a workmanship of his hands, and doing these things keeps me. I shall never be moved. I shall never be moved. That's not based upon the work of grace that salvation brought to me. That's based upon the works that God ordained for me. Once saved, always saved, because God gave you grace, you're gonna stay there. That's a bunch of hogwash and baloney. Grace puts you there, but the works God before ordained for you will keep you there. Look, 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 look. Sit down. Titus 2. Titus 2. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth, you listening to that? The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Look at verse 12. Teaching us. Who's teaching us? What's teaching us? Grace is. That's the who. Grace is. Grace is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our savior Jesus Christ. The grace of God brought salvation, but the grace of God has also become a teacher to you and said this is right, that is wrong. This you should live, you should live, that's works. Soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, why? I'm looking toward a presence of being a resident. I'll never be removed from if I do these things. Look at verse 14. He's still, you got uh, who? That who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Look at it now. And purify unto himself a peculiar people. Please note the phrase after the comma, folks. Zealous of Good works. That tells me he died not just to save you, but to purify you to the place that you would be desirous of what's acceptable to him, to the place that you would do it likewise. That's so why I ask ourselves the question. What is it then that has de- taught us to deny? What is it that taught us to say no? Not the law. Woo. Not the law. Grace has taught us these things. So in one sense, listen to me today. In one sense, the grace of God frees us from sin. But in another sense, it obligates us to purity and to good works. This is almost good enough to talk about for a few more weeks, but I'm going in today. You can stand with me. It's 1130. Man, right on the dot. Psalms 55, 22. David says, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. It says, he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Who is one that stands in the presence of the Lord? He that worketh righteousness. He says, he'll never suffer the righteous to be moved. Proverbs 12 and verse 3. Similarly, a man shall not be established by wickedness. Shall not be established by wickedness. But, everybody say, the root. Ooh, I like that. The root of righteousness shall not be moved. The root of the righteous shall not be moved. So, I deduce this from the four lessons on reserve parking. And so I hope then, unless someone's out there wondering where the parking permit comes in, you've been given it by salvation, but you must maintain it by your works. That's your renewable fee. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Our forever home, our forever home, church family. Here's the reality of it today. Our forever home is linked to our daily life. Our forever home is linked to our daily life. My designated so called parking spot. Parking permit is renewable until my change comes. As Job said in, in the book of Job, he said, All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change comes. Then, if I end it like this, kind of a little play on alliteration and words here, but then the day that the rapture takes place. Our change comes. It won't be parking permit. It will be parking permanent. <laughs> Woo! See, this brings a lot of understanding then when we start reading like in Thessalonians and Hebrews and particularly Revelation where the Bible begins to speak about how our works will follow us and. God will judge us by our works. See that always confounds some people because you know this is a this is a grace and a salvation that doesn't come by works. Why is God going to judge us? Because of that, because we should be zealous toward good works, and He before ordained that we would accomplish good works after we've met salvation. So the next time you hear somebody say that doesn't matter, it does matter. Bob, I'm to have some man fell off the edge of a cliff hanging onto a twig on the side of a mountain. When have rescue people come and throw down a rope, brother James, and he died die, because he never grabbed onto it. He never did anything, because I'm not supposed to do anything. Was salvation there? Absolutely. It's there. Or let's say he even, let's just say he grabbed a hold of the rope. Nobody's doing any pulling, but he's expected to climb. Dangle on, young man. Dangle on. Folks, 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 folks. Before you you are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece, that's awesome. You're God's masterpiece. And something that God has designed in his masterpiece is that after I save them. They're to despise what I despise, love what I love, not be obsessed with material goods, and they are to be keepers of the word. What is he saying? They should do something. Mm. Here's what's so ironic, folks, and I'm trying. I'm not really trying to belabor anything, but here's something that's so ironic. Any person throughout the history of scripture, even since then, that served gods of idle wood and stone, they got to do everything for their God. They carry it, they place it where it is. They got to do everything for their God. But that God can't do anything for them. But they're willing to do everything for their God. How in the world do we feel good then about a God that will do anything for us but then not one lift, one finger for him? In other words, the God that you used to serve, the God of the world, didn't do anything for you. But you were eager to bow and bend and be swayed with anything of his demand. But now that you have a God that will do everything for you, you believe that you're on vacation until eternity comes. Let's bow our heads all across this building today. I feel the presence of God so strong. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.